You're listening to the Jewel City Podcast. You can join us in person Sundays at 10 a.m. or 6 p.m. We have something for all people and all ages. Or join our live stream at 10 a.m. In this podcast, we'll hear a message from special guest, Pastor Jerry Mural from the Way of Holiness Church in Buckhannon, West Virginia. Hey, let's stand to our feet and make welcome my good friend, the bishop. <laughs> Jerry Merle, pastor of the Way of Holiness in the capital of Buck Cannon, West Virginia, right? All right, brother. Man, it's such an honor to be here. I was talking to my wife about how the future and the past comes together because we serve an eternal God. And hearing the songs we grew up in with, and uh, when I want to look at the past, I look at Sonia because that's what her mom looked like back uh, a few years ago, still pretty close. <laughs> and it's just, uh, I'm so honored to be here and blessed. And your pastor, y'all have a genuine pastor. He's not a hireling. He's not someone that's just in it for what he can benefit, but he's someone that loves his flock and loves the congregation and cares about the people. And it's so easy uh, to be misled. And we live in a crazy world with a lot of fads coming and going. But aren't you glad? I just want to talk to you for a few minutes about our unchanging Savior. I know everybody here knows Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And even though we know that, sometimes I don't think we stop and think about what that means to us. First of all, I want you to realize that he became flesh and dwelled among us, but he never allowed the human condition to alter his character. Instead, he showed us perfectly the true identity of the Father. You catch glimpses of God's personality all through the Old Testament, through the prophets, but the very perfect picture of God is in his Son, Christ. John 14, 8, Philip said, Lord, show us the Father. It's sufficient for us. And Jesus said, have I been so long with you, and yet you've not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I'm in the Father, or the Father's in me, and the words that I speak to you, I don't speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me, he does the works. So if Jesus never changes, God never changes. The Father never changes. The Holy Spirit never changes. Aren't you glad you can depend on Him? You know, people allow their environment to change them. We allow circumstances to change us. Did you know relationships can change you? You got to be careful who you go with because you become like who you uh, choose as your company. We're too easily influenced. But Jesus came down here and walked in the flesh and grew up as a human child. And he never allowed those he was around to influence him. He influenced them. He didn't allow them to change him. Influences from within and without can change you. I've known people to be hurt by other people. And it changed them. I've known people to be affected by tragedy. And it changed them. But the biggest influence that's trying to destroy our nation is people who are influenced and changed by the culture. 
And it is high time that the church becomes again the influence of the culture rather than the culture influencing the church. I'm so glad that he's never been influenced by any of these things. I'm so glad Jesus didn't watch CNN and MSNBC and Fox News and Newsmax and, and say, well, maybe I better adjust this to suit these folks. He don't change. I've made a lot of mistakes. Have you ever said something to somebody, maybe not even intentionally, and it changed how they perceived you and how they treated you? And it affected, aren't you glad our Savior's not like that? I've been influenced by all of the above, if I'll be honest, because I'm a human being and I live in this world. But you know what? I'm so glad that he is unchanging in all of his ways. And I want to just tell you seven ways that God never changes. And, and I believe it'll bless you tonight because it's a blessing to us. His word is unchanging. What's sin today? was still sin a thousand years ago. He said, but pastor, there's differences in the Old Testament and the New Testament. That's because they were given the law to show us how unholy we are and how we can't keep it. And they were given these commandments and nobody could keep them, but Jesus came and fulfilled the law. But whether it's Old Testament or New Testament, God never changes. His character is the same. You can find his mercy and his grace all the way back in Genesis. And so the Bible says it this way, Psalm 119, 89 through 90, forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You establish the earth and it abides. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad that just with the word, we're still here on the earth that he spoke into existence and nothing, his, when he says it, it is final, it is done. We know his word through the Holy Spirit. You say, well, I thought it was through the Bible. Where did you get the Bible? Holy God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And so anytime somebody tells you the Holy Spirit said something and it's not according to the word of God, then they're talking to the wrong spirit. Mama was old school and she'd say, if you ain't got no holy, what kind of ghost did you get? Amen. It is the spirit that gives life, Jesus said. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. So God's not going to change his word for me or you or anybody else. His holiness is unchanging. Hallelujah. Isaiah said in the, care, in the year, I'm back in talk words and getting my words mixed because my tongue's tangled up and I can't speak, explain for spluttering, but I'll get it right. Being Pentecostal, I was waiting for somebody to give an interpretation. <laughs> oh, Lord. In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord. This is Isaiah the prophet talking. On a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple, and above it stood the seraphim, and each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, and two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy. Say that with me. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And over 700 years later, 
The apostle John on the Isle of Patmos is in the spirit on the Lord's day and he's caught up into heaven and they're still singing the same chorus. His holiness has not changed, hallelujah. And he says, four living creatures, each having six wings full of eyes around about and within. They don't rest day or night saying what? Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is, and here's another line now, is to come. Aren't you glad he's coming back for us? His holiness never changes. <laughs> Uh-oh, number three, some of you might not like this. His hatred for sin never changes. You say, well, why, why would he hate sin so much? Because it breaks relationships with him. Sin put a, a, a bar, a gulf between him and humanity, and Jesus died to pay the price to bridge that gulf, but he still hates sin. He didn't change his mind about it. So, you know, I told them at our church, don't get mad at me if you don't like what I'm preaching because I'm just reading the newspaper to you. I'm just reading his word to you. Getting mad at the preacher if you don't like what's in the word is like getting mad at the paper boy if you don't like the headlines. It's not my word. I don't have the ability, nor do I have the desire to change it. Now, you know what? I, I, here, here's what I see a lot. Let, let me read a verse here to you. 1 John 3, 8. He who sins is of the devil. The devil sins from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Now, before that bothers you too much, it doesn't, in the Greek, say every time you sin, you're of the devil. It says he who lives a lifestyle of sin is of the devil. Do you know everybody's not children of God? I know we're told that we're all creation of God and we're all sons of God through uh, descendants from Adam. But listen, Jesus told those people that came against him, you're, you're, you're your father, the devil, and the works of your father you'll do. Now you're looking at me. That's not politically correct, is it? Let, let me read it to you in the English Standard Version. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So let me tell you something. Did you know most hypocrites don't go to church? I'm going to prove it to you. I've had so many people say, well, I'm not going to church because there's hypocrites there. And I'm like, well, if that hypocrite stands between you and God, then that hypocrite must be closer to God than you are. Besides that, we got room for a few more, right? Can I give you Jesus' definition of a hypocrite? Someone who is living a deliberate full-fledged lifestyle of sin and picks at other people to justify themselves. Like, yeah, we're shacking up and we shouldn't be doing that, but that church lady gossips, so I'm just as good as she is. You know what Jesus said you're doing? You need to take the beam out of your own eye before you go to picking the splinter out of somebody else's eye. None of us are perfect. None of us are above sin. But there's a big difference in trying to live for God and please the Lord and let the Holy Spirit lead you in making mistakes and somebody just living a lifestyle of deliberate sin and then picking at everybody that's trying to live right. Like an armchair quarterback or coach sitting there couldn't even run onto the field, but criticizing everybody that fumbles the ball. Hey, at least we're still in the game. Amen.
Tell the person, ask the person next to you, you still in the game? So I want you to understand why God hates sin. Sin messes up your life. When God says don't do something, he doesn't want you to have the effects of that. Last Sunday at our church, I talked about all the effects uh, clear through the rest of David's life after he sinned with Bathsheba. He dealt with the results of that. God will forgive you. God will restore you. But he don't want you to sin because he don't want to destroy your life. How many have seen the pain caused by divorce? By hate, by bitterness, by, by whatever sin you can think of. It's something God hates because it damages and hurts his children. I thought my mom and dad were the meanest people in the world when I was young. They wouldn't let me do half the things other kids got to do. They were so mean that I, I wanted to go swimming in the dark in a lake full of rocks where there were no lifeguards late at night with a bunch of stupid friends, and they did not love me enough to let me go. They just didn't want me to have any fun, Pastor. One night, one night when I was smaller than that, after church, our church was on a very busy street in the inner city in Akron, Ohio, my mom about jerked my shoulder out of joint. That's how mean she was. Yeah, I know, I almost ran out in front of a truck, but she was mean. Are y'all getting the point of what I'm saying? When God says don't do something, when God calls something sin, it's because he loves you and he hates the sin, but he still loves the sinner. Amen. It destroys. It damages the relationship, even, even with his children. He said, my ear's not heavy that I can't hear. My arm's not short, but your sins and your iniquities have separated me from you. So I want you to know God still hates sin, but I want you to know why. Because he wants to bless you, and he loves you, and he don't want you. You know, let me make this very simple. Here's another reason he hates sin. Whoever you follow, you're going to wind up wherever they're going, right? God is so loving, he wouldn't send people to hell. You're absolutely right, he wouldn't. You ignore his plea, you ignore his commandments, you ignore his invitations, and if you follow the devil, where's he going? He's headed for a lake of fire. So if you follow him, don't blame God for sending you somewhere. <laughs> Boy, it got quiet. So... He's not going to change his mind about sin. He's not going to say, well, this is 2023, so I'm going to change how I feel about it. But you know what? Even though he hates sin and that'll never change, here's the thing that's awesome. His love for you is also unchanging. Listen to what he says to some rebellious people. Jeremiah is speaking to people carried away in captivity, rebelled against God. But God says this in Jeremiah 31, 3, the Lord has appeared of old to me saying, yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Say that with me. Everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn you. I'm glad his love is not contingent on my behavior. Amen. I'd always tell my kids, my love for you is unconditional, but my approval can't be. 
Amen. I want, I want to say something to you. It might surprise you. God never punishes his children. He corrects his children. See, punishment is an end. That's for the wicked. Correction is a means to an end. My parents corrected me because they cared about me. And I'm telling you what, sometimes I didn't believe dad when he'd say this hurts me more than it hurts you until I became a dad. Aren't you glad he corrects you? You know, if you're really a, a true parent, you can never stop loving that kid. Matter of fact, that's why you cry over them. That's why you worry about them. That's why you even get mad at them. Not because you don't love them, but because you do. Your heavenly Father's love toward you cannot change. He loves you with an everlasting love. And you know what? How many here believe you're part of the bride of Christ? Are you saved? He's not going to divorce you. Amen. Divorce is painful. He hates divorce. And I want you to know his love for his children does not change. And sometimes it's pretty painful when he corrects us, but he doesn't correct us because he doesn't love us. He corrects us because he does. His mercy is unchanging. Psalm 106, verse 1. Praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good and his mercy endures forever. Did you know the psalm says this 44 times? His mercy endures forever. It says his anger only lasts for a moment. Hallelujah. But his mercy endures forever. He's never going to stop being merciful to you. Now, he's not going to approve of you in your sin, but he will tell you, I love you and I will forgive you. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. And you cannot out sin his grace. Oh, pastor, you're contradicting yourself. No, I'm talking to his children here who make mistakes. I want you to hear this. He's got a grip on you. Man, in the old days, I thought I had to hold on to God. In the old church I grew up in, every mistake you made, you had to get saved again. I don't know how many times I got born again, 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 again. I'd, 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 I'd repent on Sunday and have to get saved again the next Sunday. You know what I realized? I'm saved. I'm his child, and now I'm going to grow. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to do things I shouldn't, but his grace and mercy will carry me through, and he's not going to stop loving me. You got to get a hold of this. So I used to sing, we sing, oh, keep holding on to Jesus. That's not a good grip. What if I told you it's him holding on to you? My sheep hear my voice, John 10, 27. I know them. Woo. They follow me. Are you hearing his voice tonight? I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Woo. I'm persuaded he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. He's holding on to me. And there are times when I would have gone the wrong way. And just like mama jerked my shoulder out of joint to save my life, there's been times that the Holy Spirit has had to jerk my chain and get my attention. But his mercy never changes. Hallelujah. It's forever, right? And he's got a hold of me. 
It's not me holding on to him. That's just a blessing to me. I hope somebody will hear that tonight. And get this, his call and his plan for you is unchanging. Romans eleven twenty nine: the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not evil. To give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and you will go and pray to me and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. His gifts and callings on you do not change when you make mistakes. Now that doesn't mean... He'll use you in your rebellion and sin, but it means he'll pull you out of that and use you in spite of it. If you don't believe that, ask Peter. The night of Christ's betrayal. Caiaphas's courtyard. You're one of those. You were with him. Who, me? Oh, I don't know who he is. I don't know him. Jesus already warned him this was going to happen. And then somebody else comes by. You're with him. I can tell by the way you talk. So you know what he does? He cusses a little bit to prove he's not a Christian. Oh, nobody here's done that. Huh? And then again, you were one of his. You're, no, I don't know him. And you know what? Jesus is brought out and their eyes meet after he denies him the third time. And Peter goes away and he weeps bitterly. And he feels like, I know he called me to be a disciple. You know, he never did feel worthy. Jesus first called him. He said, depart from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. And so Peter feels so bad about himself that he thinks he's going to go back to his old life. And he tells the guys, I've done let him down too much. I'm paraphrasing, okay? I've failed. I'm a miserable failure. So I'm going back to being a fisherman. I want you to hear this if you don't hear anything else. Peter thought he was going back to his old life, but Jesus was taking him back to where he first met him to renew the call. Is that not incredible? You know what? They're out there fishing. They're not catching anything. How many remember when he first met Peter? Throw your nets on the other side. And again, they hear a voice. Throw your nets out. You'll catch something. And he hears a voice saying, come and dine. And Peter says, oh, my Lord, that's the Lord, you know. And he'd kind of taken off his robe, and he's embarrassed. And he jumps back on, jumps into the lake, and comes. And Jesus, the glorified, risen Son of God, anointed Prince of Peace, King of Kings, cooks breakfast for stinking fishermen and serves them. Isn't that amazing that he still serves? Whew. Well, surely that you've messed up as many times as you have, he's done with you. But he says, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my lambs. And three times, and I know it's different Greek words for love, but just get the point. He denied him three times. 
Jesus had him reaffirm his love and his commitment three times. Because even though Jesus told him ahead of time, you're going to mess up, you're going to sin, you're going to fail, you're going to deny me three times. When you get straightened out, when you get converted, you're going to strengthen the brethren. Now you're sitting here tonight, somebody, and you're thinking, well, I know God put a call on my life to minister and worship or to minister in different ways, but I've messed up too much and he's changed his mind about me. His call on your life is unchanging. Okay. Say, well, that's not so bad denying him. What about the big mistakes that David made? King David. Surely to goodness after adultery and sending that man to his death, surely God will never use a man like that again. But did you know Jesus is still coming back to sit on the throne of David? That the messianic name for Jesus was son of David? Think about that. This guy messed up royally. That's how kings do. But when he repented... Yes, he dealt with the consequences the rest of his life. But when he repented, the anointing and the power and the presence of the psalmist, the one who could minister in song in such a way that it moved the nation, the one who could play music to where demons would flee, was restored. And he used that restoration to say, If God can forgive me and restore me, he can do the same for you. When King Saul failed, he didn't want to lose his position or his power. And he worried about what the people thought about him. He said to Samuel, Samuel, come and stand by me. He's wanting to look good standing with the prophet. But David didn't say, don't take my kingdom, don't take my wealth, don't take my authority. Here's what he said, create in me a clean heart, renew a steadfast spirit within me. I love your presence, Lord, even though I'm a mess. Do not cast me away from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me with your generous spirit. Lord, if you do all that for me, I'll teach transgressors your way and sinners will be converted unto you. Paul said that's why God saved him. He was a rascal. He was chief of sinners. Because have you ever run into anybody? Well, I've been too wicked. God can't save me. You think you're more powerful than the finished work of Christ on the cross? If he's put a call on your life, if he could restore Peter, if he could restore David, he can restore you. And you can use that failure, that the devil mistake that he made, that mess to say to somebody else, yeah, I've been where you've been. I've done what you've done. But he forgave me. He restored me. He can do the same for you because his love for you hadn't changed and his call on your life hasn't changed. Last point. And I like this one. I talked to Tammy a while about this and I'm trying to think of good ways to say this, powerful ways to say this. His mood doesn't change. Say, why is that important? Well, if you're married, you know why that's important. (laughs) We're talking about this, and his countenance, his demeanor doesn't change on a whim. 
He is our high priest, ever living to make intercession for us, touched with the feelings of our infirmities. And you don't go to him and he don't say, well, not today, I'm having a bad day, so leave me alone. How many know that, how many husbands know that there's some days you can't approach your wife as easy as other days? Now, come on. Afraid to say amen, aren't you? Okay. How many wives know your husbands are moody sometime and pout like little boys? And see, you always get louder amens on that side of that. Same at our church. Moody. There are people that I thought really loved me, and all of a sudden they just changed toward me. They're different. Not what did I do? I don't know. Are they just having a bad day? I'm so glad I can go to Jesus at any time when I messed up and when I'm hurting and I need a savior. And he don't say, Well, not today. Come back tomorrow. I'm having a bad day. Give me some time. Aren't you glad? He never changes. His compassion and his mercy and his love, it never fails. And he ain't moody. Praise God. How, I say, Pastor, what, what does that all have to do with me? First of all, you need to let him begin to be the influence in your life from the Holy Spirit from the inside out and begin to change you to where you're not changed by everything around you. Amen. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. He was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. You say, well, he wasn't tempted with the sin that I'm tempted with. Yes, he was. So he, ha he has more compassion than you realize. Let us, therefore, come boldly to the throne of grace. Did you notice where he's sitting here? Not on the great white judgment throne, not on a throne of judgment, but right now, between the, between the wings of the cherubim, pastor was the mercy seat. He's enthroned in grace right now, and he's inviting you to come at the time of need to obtain mercy and grace to help in the time of need. Now, I want to ask you something. When do you need mercy and grace? When you've done everything right or when you've messed up? So you come to him boldly with assurance of his forgiveness and knowing he's not so mad at you that he's not going to forgive you. He's not in a bad mood. He hates sin. He's angry with the wicked every day. Yes, there is the wrath of God, but his kids, he loves you and he wants to bring you back into relationship with you. Doesn't he? With him. Let his unchanging love and ways grip you in such a way that you are no longer changed by the environment, circumstances. Maybe there's somebody you say, well, I've forgiven them, but I never want to speak to them again. I doubt you've forgiven them. Quit letting people and things change. Did you know if you let people fill you with bitterness and unforgiveness that that gives them control over you and they're affecting your life? Did you know if you just go ahead and forgive them and let God deal with it, that he will bless you? And if they maintain being your enemy and hating for you, David said, you know what? That's okay because he's going to bless me in front of them. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. My cup runs over. 
So you, one time, Pastor Robert, there was a pastor in town that told some stuff on me that wasn't so that they heard through the grapevine. I was a very young pastor, and I got all self-righteous, and I called him and gave him what for and told him off. How can you, a person that's supposed to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, just repeat gossip when you don't even know that it's true? And I hung up, and the minute I did, the Holy Spirit said to me, now that you've handled it, I'm not going to. I was wrong. Bless those that curse you. Be good to those that despitefully use you. Forgive, release, because when you hold on to that, that's messing you up, not them. If you do the right thing and you bless them, God will bless you in, the, in their presence. <laughs> and they'll get madder and jealouser. Jealouser, is that a word? Thank you. Don't allow relationships to change you. Some of you have been hurt bad by those that you trusted and loved that turned and hurt you deeply. Don't let that change you. Don't let influences from without or hurts or tragedies or this corrupt culture that we live in change you. You know how the culture changes so-called Christians in two ways it's wrong. One is they get all self-righteous and hateful and are mean to everybody that doesn't see it their way. And others, they compromise and go along with sin. Either way is wrong. Amen. They want to say we're haters. We need to love people no matter where they are or what they're doing, but love them enough to tell them the truth. The Apostle Paul said, speak the truth in love. Don't let the devil mess you up either way. Because if you get all self-righteous and judgmental, you know what? You'll get, hot, you'll get a proud spirit. You know what that proud spirit will do? Cause you to fall. So, would you stand with me? He's unchanging in his word. His holiness is unchanging. His hatred for sin is unchanging, but his love for you is unchanging. His mercy is unchanging. His call and plan for your life is unchanging, and his moods are unchanging. So let's approach his throne and be recipients of his grace tonight. And I want to close with this from the Apostle Paul. Don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed. By the renewing of your mind. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you for listening to the Jewel City Podcast. You can join us in person Sundays at 10 a.m. or 6 p.m. We have something for all people and all ages. Or join our live stream at 10 a.m. 